Hello, and welcome back to the Career Champions Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Newhauser, and today I have the pleasure of co-hosting with two of my colleagues, Daniela and Sally. Hello, everybody. I'm Daniela, and I'm the graduate intern for CDPI. It's a pleasure to be co-hosting cast today. My name is Sally Seitreff, and I sit on the CDPI Board of Directors as the Director of Member Services. Well, welcome, dearest co-hosts. Today, we have the privilege of having a conversation with our very own Indiana Commissioner for Higher Education, Teresa Lovers. Teresa Lovers was appointed in 2009 to serve as Commissioner for Indiana's Commission for Higher Education. And as we discussed shortly, she is currently the nation's longest serving state higher education executive officer. As Commissioner, Lovers works to increase college completion, ensure academic quality and student learning, and align post-secondary credentials with meaningful careers. She partners with policymakers and higher education leaders to develop and implement the state's higher education strategic plans, including the Commission's recently adopted fourth plan, Reaching Higher in a State of Change. Additionally, Lover serves as the chair of the Governor's Workforce Cabinet, and prior to joining the Commission, she was a state senator for 17 years, leading on education and economic development issues as chair of the Senate Education and Career Development Committee. She will be retiring from her role as Commissioner in March 2022 at the end of the legislative session. So without further ado, welcome Commissioner Lovers. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure to join you. I look forward to the discussion. Well, we do want to first congratulate you on your recent recognition and award of the Sagamore of the Wabash from Governor Holcomb uh, recently at the Indiana State of Higher Education Address. So truly wanted to thank you uh, for your dedication to making Indiana a better place and for your passion and service, obviously, to the state. So um, you've been a longtime uh, partner in improving education and workforce. And so we just want to take the time to recognize that great work. And thank you so much for, for all you've done for the state of Indiana. Well, I appreciate it. When I was doing my state of higher education address this year, I um, I started by saying thank you to a lot of people, including uh, people who do career services throughout the state. Um, but it's um, it was a difficult decision because my my career has never been a job. It's always been about a mission, and I'm very passionate about that mission. I believe education is the best uh, way to ensure economic mobility for people and close income gaps and ensure we don't have social stratification and all the downsides of that. So. Um, from that standpoint, the decision to leave was a weighty one. I'm sure it's the right one, and there are great people who will come in to fill in this role and many others. But I, I am the nation's longest state higher education executive officer. I'm called a SHEO. Um, I've had a lot of opportunity to work uh, with other states as well during the last almost 13 years that I've been in this job. Uh, but I, I've always chosen to, to do this work in Indiana because I'm... Um, I'm a Hoosier by birth and my heart is here. So really look forward to the discussion today and ways for us to improve the educational attainment for more Hoosiers. Wonderful, lots of those topics we'll try to touch on today. I do mention in, um, when I talk about your bio that you are the longest serving state higher education officer. I'd love if you could, could you expand on some of the highlights, some of the, the biggest moments that you've had as commissioner? Yeah. Well, I served in the Indiana State Senate for 17 years before I took this job. and um, during the last 10 years or so that I was there, um, higher education issues became much more important. It was, it was yes about how do we fund higher education, but it was really about student success more than ever. And um, we really sort of flipped the paradigm from institutions um, 
students finding institutions and figuring it out to making it a much more student-friendly um, system. And certainly career services sits in the very middle of that as well. Uh, during this time, you know, we've had some really great successes in Indiana. Um, I think that starting with um, the 21st Century Scholars Program, which I never miss an opportunity to talk about, it's really a game changer for low-income first-generation students. And while we have had marginal success in closing achievement gaps for low-income students who aren't scholars, for our scholars, and we can talk about this later if you want to, for our scholars, they're um, blowing out of the park in terms of college readiness and college um, access and completion. So I think that's a real success story. I think we also um, have really done a really good job with strategic planning for higher education, uh, aligning in some cases the strategic plans of the commission with those of the colleges and universities. As I often say, we've never graduated a student from the Commission for Higher Education, uh, but I do think that we have advocated for policies that actually drive student success. I think another element that you have to talk about when you talk about um, Indiana and extension of really the scholars program, but we rank first in the Midwest and fifth in the nation in need-based financial aid. So at a time when we're telling students that education beyond high school is more important than ever, we have to make sure that they can afford it. I think the work that we've done to really align, and we can talk about this in greater detail, what students are learning with what they will be doing in their careers has actually helped to build the value proposition of higher education, which is under a significant duress as evidenced by the decline in college going rates. So that's another discussion that we need to have today, I think. Yeah, you talk about the, the student success and the student advocacy, and you've hosted as the Indiana Commission has the Student Advocates Conference. You just had one in December. And so I'm excited that you mentioned that and you talked about career relevancy, right, and, and the obtainment. Can you talk more about the study that the commission has done as part of career relevance and kind of what you've found and what the commission is continuing to, to do as part of that work? Absolutely. Well, uh we partnered with Gallup in trying to figure out uh, early on, what is it about a college experience that brings value to the individual? And uh, what could we do to actually increase that value proposition to individuals? And clearly dealing with issues of affordability are important. Uh, but we've also, we also learned that when students believed when their, their college experience was aligned with their career aspirations, they were more likely to value that experience and think it was worth it. And so from that, we were developing at the same time our fourth strategic plan. Uh, it's called Reaching Higher in a State of Change. And we looked at, as we always do, what are the key metrics that we want to measure? What are the outcomes? And one of those that we identified as a key metric would be that 100% of our degrees and programs would have embedded career relevance, an internship, an apprenticeship, work-based learning. We worked with the academic officers of the colleges and universities to really say, you know, what are you doing now? And we wanted to make sure we included things like um, international experiences or research projects that actually could also be aligned. So we were, we took a fairly broad view of that. We audited those programs. We found out that about in the public sector, about 90% of our degrees and programs offered some sort of career relevant experiences. About 78% of them required it. So we're in the process of, you know, uh, working again in partnership with the colleges and universities to look at those numbers to figure out how we can make sure that all students, not just those in engineering programs or those who have the cadet teaching uh, programs or those that we have historically had career relevant experiences, 
but how about the liberal arts or how about other programs? I mean, I, my undergraduate major was English. I ended up, I was not in the school of education. I was an English teacher when I started. You know, if I was going to go back to college right now, I would be in the liberal arts school and get an English degree again. But I would have a double major in digital marketing or something else that actually differentiated my experience um, from, from others when I was going to, into the marketplace. So the other thing that we know is that um, many of those experiences are going to have to be complemented throughout someone's life as the economy changes. And so, you know, I, we've seen dramatic changes, I think, in career services offices um, throughout this, this period of time as well. So I, I think we're all on the same page, understanding that when we can provide relevant experiences to people, they're more likely to persist uh, in, throughout college. They're more likely to have a, a meaningful engagement with an employer. We're more likely to keep people in Indiana if they've had some sort of experience like that and grow population. There is really no downside to having more relevant career experiences when people are in higher education. Thank you so much, Commissioner Lovers. And I, to your first point and your response to the, the question um, that Jeffrey asked, I would say thank you for your service. And that way, I'm a first-generation college student myself and currently in a master's program. And so all of that incredible work that you do is impacting so many different scholars across um, the state. And so to your most recent answer, too, uh, we wanted to ask you a little bit about how you have seen higher ed in Indiana change since, since you have begun your um, position as commissioner. Is there anything unexpected or surprising that um, you would add to what you just mentioned? Well, like any other enterprise, uh, it has changed dramatically. And I suppose if you were going to come up with a singular word, it would be technology and the changes in a knowledge-based economy. And we've seen that in every other aspect. And so it's only understandable that you would see huge changes in higher education. So whether it's from, you know, online instruction, hybrid models, um, you know, the you know, infusion of new degrees such as cybersecurity into some of those. But the reality is that all degrees and programs really are impacted by technology. So I, I think that's certainly been an area in which we've seen significant changes. I would also then say we have dramatic changes in terms of the demographics of those who are accessing higher education. So like you, I'm a first generation college graduate as well. And, but at a time, unlike you, who are decades and decades younger than I am, it was not as critical. We all know, I don't need to revisit the changes in the economy uh, that happened from when I was growing up um, to now. But with those, so if, if in fact we're operating as we are in a knowledge-based economy, and if, in fact, education beyond high school is more important than ever, then we have an obligation to make sure that that's available to people, regardless of their background or whether they're first generation uh, or all the reasons that they may not have been fully participating in higher education before. So I think changing demographics have made a difference. The economy itself has made a difference. So building on what I just said, you know, you, you could have uh, I grew up in an, in an area where you could have an eighth grade education or a high school diploma and work in a manufacturing uh, place and actually have great health care, good benefits. We didn't have a lot of wealth, but we didn't have a lot of poverty. And the world changed just about the time that I was entering college. And, and we left lots of people behind who um, worked hard. And, you know, you still have to work hard, but working hard, you could still be poor today and work hard. So that is not enough. So I think you know, the changing, uh, 
technology, you know, the changing demographics, the changing economy, has all, all of those things are requiring higher education to change as well. I think a change in Indiana was really the introduction of a true community college system. It was only 2005 that Ivy Tech became a community college. Uh, it was a, a, you know, technology more Ivy Tech school, and it provided, it still is that, but all of a sudden it became the provider of associate degrees. Prior to that, our regional campuses in Indiana were providing the associate degrees, and we have weaned four-year institutions away from that as we've developed a true community college system, which meant that you needed to facilitate transfer in a much better way. Uh, you know, during the years that I was in the legislature, other than talking about how much funding would go to higher education, the biggest criticism that we would hear would be from parents or families or students about transfer. You know, I start, even within the regional campuses, you couldn't transfer from one to the other and get your credits accepted. And so we've worked very uh, hard over the last two decades and especially the last decade to have more seamless transfer among both the community college to four-year institutions, but four-year college, you know, you have so much mo mobility. Students are getting credits in lots of different places in lots of different ways. So I, I think the transfer has been an important issue as well. Then finally, I would just say it's really about right fit for the individual based on their aspirations and preparations and the needs of the economy, meeting these workforce needs that are changing dramatically to ensuring that we have students going into their jobs prepared for the jobs. And then by doing that, really diversifying and strengthening Indiana's economy. And education is at the center of that. If you talk to economic development folks across the country or the state, the game changer is is the workforce and increasingly the skill set in a knowledge-based economy. You can't bring new businesses here if they don't know that they're going to have people prepared for those jobs. And that's changed. You know, I we used to hear, you know, even with our first strategic plan, which we did in 2008, and we started talking about, you know, preparing people for, uh, you know, the changing economy and the workforce. And there was still some pushback. You know, we're not we're not building widgets here. We have people. And so we had to really change the way we talked about that to say that it's consistent to talk about the preparation, the academic preparation of people and the needs of the workforce. Those are, you know, that we have an obligation to do that. So lots of, lots of changes and they're still going to come. Within all of these changes, I know you've, you've talked about almost 90% of higher education programs have you know, that career engagement built in. You've talked about 60% of Hoosiers getting their degree attainment. Where do you think that career development professionals throughout the state in the career services office at all these institutions, where do you think that they can best support these initiatives moving forward? Well, I'm glad you mentioned the 60% goal. You know, we're, Our goal is that 60% of Hoosiers would have a quality credential beyond high school. That number is not just plucked from the air. It's based on what the workforce needs are. Keep in mind that's an attainment num number. So it goes into about age 64 is at when you age out of that attainment. So you don't have to worry about me anymore, but uh, you know, there are people who are between the ages of essentially 25 and 64 that we measure their attainment. Uh, and when we first started measuring that, it was really associate degrees and bachelor's degrees or the highest level beyond that. We now include quality certificates and industry certifications. And, we're figuring out how to measure that. We're at, in Indiana, we're at 48.3% right now. And um, not surprisingly, 
uh, we've been on a great path. The last couple of years, we've stalled a little bit, as we have in so many ways uh, in terms of education, preparation, and attainment. I think that speci speaking specifically to um, to your question about you know career services, um, you know it's important that students earlier in their higher education experience engage with those offices, not when it's six months before they leave. Uh, and it's important that they that career services engage both looking back at K twelve and looking forward at workforce. So, and 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 you sit right in the middle of that, really. So. You know, what is it that we're doing with students to allow them to have career exploration earlier? I'm not a person who believes in pigeonholing students when they're in sixth grade to a job. I am a person who believes giving them an opportunity to explore the full range of options. So it's really about career exploration earlier. Because what we know, especially for first-generation low-income students, if you ask them about what they want to do, they will not surprisingly talk about what they know, like we all do. So if you've grown up in an area where you can be anything you want to be, you know, you're going to have a wide range of things. If, you're grow, if you've grown up in an area where there are a, a more finite number of careers and opportunities, you're sort of tied to that. So I think we have an obligation earlier to, you know, give them an opportunity to explore lots of careers. And then as they move throughout that, in middle school, it starts to get a little more, you know, you, know, you have people who are actually presenting job opportunities to them. This is what this job looks like. And then as they move into high school, based on their preparation and their interests, you know, you start to refine that a little bit more, nudging them to the places where they're most likely to be successful, knowing that that decision is theirs. And then, and then of course, by the time that they arrive, you know, I know we've done a better job of, yes, that freshman year often, often is still about career exploration, but we're sort of earlier getting people engaged with careers. And I think that's where career services can really be involved with that. And actually, I made the reference to then looking forward, this engagement that you have with the employer community, I think is, is critically important. I mean, bringing those people in so that they have a chance to talk to them and then getting the students out so they have a chance to be there and doing this work with internships and all the kinds of things that we've talked about before blurring the lines between all of those things. So it's not as if when I leave high school, you know, all the high school folks shake their hands and say, we're done because, you know, you're then preparing them for the next or college shakes their hand and says, now it's, it's the job. But in fact, we are engaging with throughout that we're blurring the lines between all of those. I love how you mentioned um, talking about blurring those lines between the business and the student. And I want to talk about how the pandemic, maybe you've seen an impact on either the college going rate or just in, in general engagement with higher education. I know career development professionals are, as you mentioned, trying to get students to engage and come to the table and, and attend events or ex, you know, make the events accessible for students. Can you talk more about what you've seen in relation to the impact of the pandemic on higher education and maybe what the future? I know we don't have a magic eight ball or, or to predict what that looks like, right? But can you talk about how that maybe has impacted higher education and, and what the plans might look like going forward from the commission? And some of those things were probably underway prior to COVID, but the jarring nature with which we've had to adjust to them, I think, has been a real challenge. I think we've all done better than I thought we would. 
you know, uh, we've all done better doing this kind of thing. And, uh, but it, you can go all the way back to, you know, for example, I've talked a couple of times about the 21st Century Scholars Program. One of the things that we do is we have them have a campus tour. Now, most of those campus tours were virtual for the most part now. And, you know, that you can do that and you can do it pretty successfully. And if you have to do it, you do it that way. But I remember taking my daughters around for college tours and, you know, the impact that a student walking that, that prospective student around and the engagement that they had made a difference. And, you know, seeing that campus, how it felt to them made a difference. And it still does. So we're going to have to find a way uh, to, to, you know, get some of that back again, even as we adjust to what I, adjust to what I think will be, you know, lingering changes in, in the way that we do that. I think the, it's been, you know, I know adjusting to internships and those kinds of things many times when they had to be virtual is different. And especially if you're an internship in a hands-on kind of field uh, and that's, you know, there are clinicals attached to what your job that you're going to be doing. So I think that's been, that's been difficult to do, although we have found ways to do it. Um, you know, I think this, I just have to say that um, this decline in college going rate is serious. I mean, we've seen um, in the last five years a 6% decline from 65% to 59%. And I will say that now this is for those going straight from high school to college. 65% of young women still showed up. 51% of men showed up. And so this is an issue that's been a disproportionate impact um, over these years uh, for men and minorities and low income. And I think that has been exacerbated because of COVID. Now, I will say that we did see, especially at the community college, COVID has caused a very chilling impact on women as well, who have been impacted by taking care of families and stay-at-home children. And so, um, you know, if you look at the labor participation rate, for example, we've seen the biggest, uh, we've seen a lot of women out of the labor market right now. And I think it's a little different than college going, but it also is reflected in college going, especially at the community college where you've seen a huge decline. Lest we think this is a uh, one-time kind of uh, phenomenon, we are starting to get the numbers for the, um, we had the 2019 class because this is, you know, we this is a lagging indicator that we were measuring before as we're gonna be measuring the 2020 class and 21, it, 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 we're going to continue to see declines, and it's uh, uh, declines that are very serious. And again, you know, we're not talking about four-year degrees or two-year degrees only. We're talking about quality certificates as well. And so, at a time when you are in a knowledge-based economy, when education and training beyond high school is more important than ever, um, the impact of that on income disparity and social stratification is significant. You may get, you may be prepared in multiple ways, but it is, as I often say, a risky proposition to walk away from the promise of higher ed. I think we all should be concerned. I just want to say I love how you challenge uh, higher education institutions in your uh, state of higher education address and saying, you know, this is going to be a shift. They've shifted with the pandemic. 
this is going to be an even more shift than I think you use the the industrial revolution in your in your speech of saying the shift has to happen and there will be winners and, and losers in this. And it is a time for us to, to consider that. So um, I just appreciate the the challenge, but also the support that you're providing um, in, in being truthful, but saying we can get through this and, and here's how we can do that. So uh, appreciate your leadership on that. Well, there are some hopeful signs of the agility of institutions to respond. Um, you know, this uncertain future means that there, there will be, as I said in my speech, it's not inevitable who will be the winners or losers, but there are some pretty clear signs of the indications of how you can do that. And, and differentiating your offer and, um, you know, doing things like career relevance, dealing with the affordability issue, which I think we've done a pretty good job in Indiana. I don't think all Hoosiers know that. They don't think it's possible for them or affordable for them. Um, you know, things like the Workforce Ready Grant, where we now pay for 150 high value certificates that are tuition free. Um, you know, we're seeing adults coming back and getting those. The um, ability to meet students, especially adult students, where they are in terms of providing a more user friendly way of learning. I mean, the other thing is you're going to have other providers who are going to come into this space. I mean, whether it's coding schools or it's short-term certificates, all kinds of things that people are going to get. We have to make sure that they have value and how we measure that value, that there's quality in terms of how it's delivered. Um, you know, you know, shame on us if we look back, you know, five years from now or 10 years and we say that we provided all these opportunities, but there was no economic mobility really related to that. Um, so I think we have lots of ways to measure it, but um, it's, um, you know, you're not, you're going to continue to have people who are going to have that wonderful, rich residential experience. And there's nothing like it. It is so great, but it's not going to be there for everybody. And so how do we make sure that others have a valuable experience? How do we build cohorts of learning for people who don't live in a dorm or someplace like that and give them some place of belonging as well? So I think you know, my sense is that highly intensive research institutions with residential campuses are pretty, they're doing pretty well still. You know, they have multiple funding sources. They have rich histories. People are there. I think, you know, we have very student-friendly four-year campuses, like regional campuses, USI, Indiana State, that are also, I think, going to find a way to have provide student-friendly services. I think those who are served as adults in the community college, how do we do that better? You know, the whole other discussion is, you know, we have 29 very uh, rich independent colleges in Indiana. And if you look across the nation, especially if you start in the New England areas and you see where they had so many of those campuses, many of them have merged. I don't necessarily know that you're going to see mergers, but you're going to see collaboration between campuses to see, to play to what their strengths might be especially as they engage again with employers. So, you know, hold on because it's, you know, it's going to happen and there are going to be significant changes going forward and expectations are going to change as well. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Career Champions, an initiative of CVPI, the Career Development Professionals of Indiana. Join us in our next episode as we continue our discussion with Commissioner Lubbers about college affordability skepticism about going to college, her suggested reading, and her experiences as a woman in politics and higher education. Stay connected to CDPI by visiting our website, cdpi.org, 
where you can register to become a member and explore ways of getting involved. So until next time, Thrive Career Champions. <laughs>